and leave my mic on, we're going to go through that song. This song is awesome song. All these songs have been fantastic. What we were and now what we are. Why is that? Is it something that you are so much smarter than everybody? So much more on the ball than anybody? Or is it simply God's grace? Because the song, it's pretty clear. It's that. Man, we want to we watch the twins win. We want to watch my kids get married and have grandkids. I want to watch all this. Uh, just wait a little bit. I think these songs, so many times we sing 
them without thinking them. And the point of music is to make theology not only come to life and see it, but also remember it. And so it gets almost rote. How many understand that? I pray that our hymns don't do that. That our songs don't do that. And I think sometimes we just need to stop and just read the words. Because I think many times our emotions trump our mind and the theology is lost. All right. How many of you love those songs that we sang this morning? They're just fantastic. Unbelievable. Romans chapter 12 is where we're at. You can have your Bibles and take them with me to Romans chapter 12. Now, I, like I said already, we are going to do things a little different this morning. And what we are going to do is this. Romans chapter 12, we are now on verse 3. The Bible says this to start. It says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living, sacri holy sacrifice. Why did he say, uh -uh. why did he say, by the mercies of God? We, have, we haven't exhausted this, by the way, but we have, we have really pushed this over and over. What mercies is he talking about? Right. We went through and went back all the way through Romans 1, all the way through Romans 12. Look at all that God has done. He's urging us by what God has done. Who He is. We need to know God. And that was the message two weeks ago, before a week before Easter. We must know Him, and therefore as a result, love Him. So all of this is what is being said is based on the mercy of God to do what? To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, reasonable service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Therefore, we already talked about all this. We've gone through much of this. I'm going to go to the next slide. Sorry, I, <clears throat> I don't want to recreate a new slide every a presentation. There's a lot of work here. <clears throat> Present your bodies, your whole being is the idea. Living, holy, sacrifice, acceptable to God. By the way, is there sacrifice that is unacceptable to God? Absolutely. Is there worship unacceptable for God, to God? Absolutely. This is the least we can do. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, to spiritual service of worship. We talked about that spiritual, what that means. It means you're reasonable. It's, it's the idea is, if you add it all up, well, duh. If you add all up, what up? And that's the point. If you add up all that God has done, you have no other choice but to. Does that make sense? It's like God is so great. He is so awesome. He's done so much for you. You look at it and say, well, of course I'm going to be doing that. 
Because I, I, but you have to know God in order to get to that point. What motivates you to love Him? Knowing Him. What motivates you to do the things you do? Well, too many times, it's self-motivation. Because that's what we've been taught. Pull up your bootstraps and be a man, right? Well, some of you ladies, hopefully, don't do that. But you get the idea, right? We, we are ingrained in this culture that we can do this ourselves. Here's, here's the truth. No, you can't. You can't. You will utterly fail. We are only here because of God's infinite mercies. Amen? And the infinite, what does that mean, infinite? Never ending. That's what they are. God's infinite mercies compared to what we have done. <laughs> there is no comparison. <clears throat> Call or, the Bible then says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Conformed is don't act like the world. Don't be like the culture. In other words, whatever the world calls normal, and this is the truth, whatever the world calls normal is probably abnormal. Do not be conformed to the world. The world is this age, the world order, this evil force, the present life, the culture that we are in. That's the idea. Instead, we're to be conformed to God's image. We're to be like Him. How are you going to be like Him? I gave you the illustration of how that, how that uh, you have two elderly people and they can actually finish each other's sentences and they even actually start looking like each other. Why? Because they spend so much time together. They know the Lord. <clears throat> how are you renewing your mind? <clears throat> Then we've got to the, the last second part of this verse, 12, verse 3. It says this, <clears throat> verse 3, For though the grace given to me, let me get my eyes on so I'm not guessing at these words again. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. We're going to focus this morning on this verse. And this verse is at the end of the text here. I'm hang on. Hopefully you're not giving all this out. By the way, this is super important. This slide here, if you don't get this slide, you will not understand very little about depravity and the will of God. All of us have a depraved heart and mind. That's what we were born with. And that heart and mind makes us decide things. And because it's a depraved, it always decides the wrong thing. But Christ, when He comes and, if you will, changes us, 
We no longer have a depraved mind. We have a depraved body, but not a depraved mind. And so therefore, now we have choice. We can either follow what our desires in the flesh are or what we know the Spirit of God wants. How many see that? That difference actually comes with salvation. And as you keep knowing the Lord, those decisions keep getting better. Why? Because your mind is being renewed with God. Amen? That's exactly what happens. One of the things we need to we talked about three weeks ago, Scripture is not simply informational, it is transformational. I hope you're not gathering information to win an argument. But gathering information to know who God is. Because when we know who God is, there will be no pride. Because we are so bleh compared to Him. The more our mind is renewed, the more we realize God's will for our lives. Renewing our mind is, must be motivated by knowing <laughs> and as a result, loving God. Know God. This was where we ended it. Love God. Please God. Really, this, this could be the, the, the heartbeat of every church. It really is. This, this is the core issue to all Christian life. Know God. And if you know God, guess what? You're going to love God. And if you love God, you're going to please God. And what does that look like? Well, it looks like loving others. Caring for one another. It's like using the gift God has given us to serve one another. By the way, Bible talks about this in serving one another. It's impossible to serve one another if you can't be with one another. Amen? That's why God talks about forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together. Why do we come together? Because we need each other. Some of you are the eye and some are the ear, some are the nose and some are the tongue. And we all work together as the body of Christ. Amen? Knowing God, loving God, pleasing God. The verse that we're in, for the, through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. How are we not to think of ourselves so highly? Do, do we do that on a continual basis? Do we constantly think we're better than somebody else? Some people even think they're smarter than God. It's interesting. Paul immediately gives us a hint of what he's talking about. And this morning, it is much like the mercies of God. How are you going to know the mercies of God? How did we find those out? We went back to Romans chapter 1. And we could have went back to Genesis chapter 1. And just kept reading. And if you read your text, if you read Scripture as focusing on, okay, what are the passive verbs in my life? What are the active verbs that God is doing to me? If we just focused on that through the whole Scripture, do you know what? This Bible is not about me. It's about Him. It's all about Him. 
Paul says it immediately. For through the grace, what's the verb there that helps us understand immediately Paul's mind is not, hey, look it, I am the guide of the Gentiles. Sit down, be quiet, and listen to me. Is that what he said? Not at all. He said, listen, this grace through the grace, what? What's the word? Given to me. Given to me. I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Why? Because I'm an apostle. How am I an apostle? I was called to that. You can go to almost every book he wrote and it's, I was called. Right? It wasn't that I went after that job. God called me to that job. I will tell you this morning, every single one of you that are sitting here this morning that truly know the Lord, God has called you to a ministry. He has. He's called you to serve Him. Here's the question. How are you serving Him? What are you doing to serve Him? That's the implicated principle being talked about in here. But let's look at one thing. It says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Don't raise your hand, because that would be humbling. But, how many of you and I consistently think more highly of ourselves than we ought to? Every day. Every day. You say, whoa, 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 that doesn't really go well with the public school outcome. You know, we're supposed to think of ourselves as awesome. Here's, here's a, a uh, truth that we need to know. None of us are awesome. None of us are. So this is much like the mercies of God. Do you remember the mercies of God? This is why I went through the whole thing. Divine love, grace, how do we know that? All these things were found in Romans chapter 1 through 11. All of them were and more that we didn't get to. So what about his, what, what, what's going to make us think less of ourselves, if you will? Not as highly. What's going to humble us? What's going to make us think of ourselves as nothing? Now, we can go around and we can take a self-whip and whip ourselves in the back. Naughty, you shouldn't have done that. Okay, naughty. How many, how many understand that? And, and, and try to discipline ourselves that way. That's not what he's talking about. Frankly, he doesn't even say to do that. What does he say to do? Well, let's look. Romans chapter 1. Immediately in the text, and we're going to go through a ton of verses this morning. Immediately in the text, and we're going to see about salvation and faith and grace, and especially on how God did this. God did this. That's why election is so important. Through whom we have what? What's the verb? Help me out because we're, this is a communal thing here. We're a church, right? Okay. Through whom we have received grace. We didn't buy it. We didn't earn it. We received grace. 
Not only, and he's obviously talking about himself and the other apostles here, right? Because they not only received grace, which also you have received, we have received, but he has received specifically what gift? Apostleship. There's a word in here. If you look back on the, on the verse, Romans 12, let's go back there quickly. Look at the word, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. What does that mean, a measure of faith? Does it make sense? I don't know that, matter of fact, commentators have a hard time dealing with this. Some people think it's talking about salvatory faith. That God has given little and much to different people, different measure of faith that way. There are some verses that maybe inclinize that way, but I, I don't know that that's right. There's also those that believe in the context that this is in, it's talking about the giftedness of the saints. And so when faith is, a measure of faith is how strong of gift were you given in, in one certain gift? How many understand that? Measured of gift, like a... a how many know what the gifts are? Okay, there's 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians has them. This will have in Romans 12. But there are a whole bunch of gifts. We aren't necessarily one gift. We're a multiplicity of gifts. Heavy in one area, lower in another area. How many understand that? I believe that's what he's talking about. But it's interesting he uses the measure of faith here instead of grace. Grace means gift, by the way. Measure of faith. So, let me ask you this. Are some people stronger in the teaching and preaching gifts than they are in the ministering, serving other hospitality gifts? Yes or no? Absolutely. Which one is needed? All of them. Right. Right. And so that's why I believe that's what it's talking about, but Interesting, it's faith, and that's why I wanted to bring that to your attention quick as we go to the next slide, because the issue is though we have received grace and apostleship, how? To bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for His name's sake, among whom you also are the what? Called. Paul is making it emphatically clear, folks, this is nothing that, it, there was, your salvation was unconditional. There was no work that you had to perform. There was no wages that you need to be paid for. Matter of fact, he uses those words eventually in some of the texts we're going to use. You know, if you're working for the law, you, you're going to get paid your wages. But you will be paid your wages. You won't get above that. It's grace and grace alone. And it's a gift that's freely given. And it's the reason it's given is to do what? Bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. Let me ask you just for a second. Why would you call obedience of faith? Because somebody else has demanded it. Is that not true? 
Let me ask you, do you obey your laws? That you, I mean, is that, do you make laws up so you obey them, or do you make laws up in your home so others will obey them? How many are following me? So this obedience of faith, so who did this? God did this. What does God desire? God desires all to come to faith. And therefore he gave Paul to preach the gospel to the Gentiles so they would be obedient in faith. Now let me ask you, the way it's written here, can faith be understood as a work? Just the way it's written, I'm not trying to be works and grace and all that. The way it's written, it looks like it's an obedience, right? The reason it's an obedience is because God is calling. And we answer. How, do we get, how does God call? That is the, that's the whole thing, isn't it? So here, let me ask you, in Romans chapter 1, 5 through 6, what did you do? <laughs> it's all God. It's all God. Listen, if God would not have called, would you have obeyed? No. So it's God. Called of Jesus Christ. Th these are so important. So let me ask you, does that put God way up here and us way down here? Absolutely. Absolutely. For I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. Romans 1.11 tells me very clearly, first of all, Paul has been called to do something, apostolize, right? In order to do that, he, has got to, he is to preach the word. He is going to impart spiritual gifts to people. He's going to impart knowledge to people. Is that not true? Absolutely. What does it mean about the people? They don't have it. Someone has to do something for them. Listen, folks, there's a world dying and going to hell because they don't have the gospel, but we do. We're all good. Got her. <laughs> that, so he, he, the idea is this. We should be sponges. Amen? Oh, yeah. Don't go there. You've heard this. They preach a false gospel. Really? What do you mean by that? Explain what you mean by that. Listen, folks, the gospel is Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again for our sins. And we must put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation. There is no work that you can accomplish to be saved. It's by grace through faith in Christ and Christ alone. There's nothing false about that. If you call it false, then I question what your salvation is. I long to see you so that I might impart some spiritual gift to you. Here's the reality. Here's what Paul's saying. Was Paul gifted in a certain gift? Yes or no? 
Yes, that gift was to be the apostle to the Gentiles so they can know Christ and, and love Him and, and grow in Him. Amen? Amen. That was His gift. Guess what? He is not any better than the one he's, He is trying to impart gifts to. But He has been given a gift that is different to help them in their faith and in their growing, which also is much like faith. And that's, we'll get to that probably next week. That you may be established. Established how? In the faith. For in it, let me ask you, does that make us smaller than God? <laughs> Absolutely. For I long to see you. For in this righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Now here's the deal. We always think faith is only salvation. Is that a true statement? When we think of faith, do we think of salvation? That's what we think, right? We're monologue, we're monothoughtful, <laughs> whatever that may be, right? We're focused on that. It's faith. But God says, hey, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. What does that mean? Then he he quotes an Old Testament, but the righteous man, what? Shall live by faith. Faith is not a moment in time. It's a life. We are saved by faith, but it doesn't stop there. Amen. We serve in faith. It's faith upon faith. Faith to faith. Righteous man. By the way, if he's a righteous man, he's a man of what? Faith. Then he needs to live by faith. He will live by faith. By the way, see that shall? It's not might. Maybe. May. Hopefully. Not at all. Not at all. The righteous man will live by faith. That is why I continue to say over and over again, it is not a moment in time, it is a life. Now, are you justified when you put your faith in Christ? Yes or no? Absolutely. Does that faith ever cease? No. Are there moments of questioning? Sure. But that faith never, never quits. That's why when someone comes out and says, I'm coming out of the closet, I'm no longer a Christian. I hate the Lord. It's all wrong. It's all wickedness. I totally despise it. And now I'm going to go and live with my new boyfriend. That was said, by the way, by a well-known author of a biblical book. The day after that was said, I sat in a service, not here, and this is what was said. We need to pray for this man because he's a brother and sister. He's a brother in Christ. And he's just going through a hard time right now. Here's why. They would say that because they believe faith is a one-time act and then you're done. To be honest with you, if it's a one-time act and you're done, you are a man of works. 
do you truly have faith in Him or not? So you can see now why this measure of faith coincides with Romans 1.17. How many understand that? It, it's not necessarily the one-time act, although that's all we think about. It's also how we live. How we serve. It's part of our faith. Do we truly believe? If we do, then this is what's our... We are motivated. If we truly believe, if we truly have faith in God, we are motivated by faith to continue to grow in Him. Amen. Romans 2, 9-11, through 11, There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. Of the Jews first, also to the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good. Whoa, what's he talking about here? By the way, it's interesting, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Are you to preach the gospel to the Jew first and also to the Greek? Is that the same wording, yes or no? It's the same wording. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. But there will be honor and peace to everyone who does good. Now, he's saying here there's no partiality with, with, with God. Jews and Gentiles are all the same with God in this aspect. Amen. What is he saying? Does it mean we have to do good in order to be saved? Is that what it's saying? Absolutely not. But what it's saying is people of faith do good. That's what it's saying. If you're a person of faith, well, I trusted my faith was way back then. If your faith was way back then, it better be that now. There's no difference here. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law. Romans 2.13, what is he saying there? Is again, is it work salvation? Absolutely not. But when you put your faith in Christ, your faith is in Christ. That means your solid foundation is Christ. And what comes out of that, according to Ephesians 2.10, is good works. Amen. The result is good works. It's not the... We are not saved by, by good works. The Bible never says that. We're never justified by good works. But we are justified for good works. For resulting in. So it's not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law. What does he mean? This, this idea that, you know, I can say a prayer and I'm good to go. That's not what the Bible says. Now, can you be saved by trusting in Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes or no? Absolutely. But your life now is going to change. He is your new master. You say, well, where do you get that? I'm glad you asked. Because Romans tells us this. Being justified as a gift. How are we justified? By His what? Grace. Through the redemption which is in whom? Christ. What's that have to do with you? We're just the benefactor, right? We're not the actor. We're not the doer. We're the benefactor who, whom God displayed, Romans 3, publicly as a propitiation 
in his blood through faith. This was demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. When, there, when then is boasting, it is excluded. What is he saying here? It's Jesus, it's God who decided that Jesus was going to go to the cross. It was God that sent his son. It was God who turned his back on his son. It was his son who went to the cross, not you. It was all God that did this. Why? So it will be demonstrated to, the, to everywhere, which we don't even know. We, this is a righteous God. Amen. I say of this righteousness at the present time so that he would be the just and the justifier. This idea that God is, listen, there's, there's a word in there, um, Christ to the, when, when Christ brings us to the bar, or how many, how many saw that? What instantly went through your mind? Probably not the bar they're talking about. But what bar is it? The judgment, right? We will be perfect in that judgment. Why? Because Christ is pleading our case. We are in Him. When then, it, oh, so it's God that did it, it's Christ that did it, it's Christ's grace, it's God's gift, it's all free, then where is the boasting? How can we boast in that? Is there any boasting in it? Why? It's God who did it all. It's excluded. It's gone. If we couldn't get it yet, Paul says, well then let's do this. Let's go to your guru. Let's go to the Jewish guy that everybody thinks is the greatest man in the world. Let's go to Abraham. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. Now, remember it's the measure of faith, which is not necessarily talking about salvation, although we're talking about salvation. This is also about being called to a, a, a specific gift, which he's now going to transition in, in Romans chapter 3. And he does so here too. In this text, he's obviously talking about being justified. But I will tell you this. Just like we cannot be justified by works, we also cannot be sanctified by works. What does that mean? Well, I try really hard and I throw just... Your motivation's wrong. It's the motivation. When you... When you were, when you were towards the end of dating your wife before you got married, did you want to spend every waking hour with them? Were you just like, ah, oh, cannot be without them? How many understand what I'm saying? I hope I'm giving you a great opportunity, men. You're sitting next to your wife. They were my everything. I can't be without them. When I'm not with them, I write notes. I call them, I text them, 
It's a little different now, right? Well, we ha- waking every hour, I want to be there, I want to be with them, I want to be with them. Let me ask you, does that same passion depict your relationship with Christ? Does that same desire Now, even the marriage is flawed compared to Christ's relationship with you. Amen? But the reality is, even in our doing spiritual gifts, which is what we're going to be dealing with, it is a moment of, it's a, it's a, it, it demands faith. Because if it doesn't, what, by the way, what's the faith in? Who's the faith in? Who? Christ. If we're not doing good works for Christ's sake or to please Him, then it's all wrong. All wrong. Are you following this? So he's saying, listen, if it's all your works, then he would have something to boast about. But not before God. In other words, yeah, you can boast about how good you are to everybody you want to, but before God, (laughs) no, not so much. But what good is it then to boast to everybody else? It's a bad work. It's not a good work. Abraham believed God, and it was, here it is, credited to him. Who's in charge of all this? God, again. It was credited to him as righteousness. Romans 5.11 And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through, through whom we have now what? Received. Who's doing the work? Jesus Christ. Received reconciliation. God. Romans 5.15 Salvation and your Christian life is a free gift from God. How many have looked back and watched people just struggle over things and think, man, I'm glad I can rely on the Lord? It's faith. It's a free gift. (laughs) I love it because faith is a free gift is not like the transgression. You deserve that. Sin. How much is sin? You have to look at the law. Romans 6, 10, 11. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, now, how many would say, yeah, exactly. The death he died, he died to sin for one, once for all. Who's that talking about, by the way? Christ? Okay, he died to sin for everybody else, Right? Is that not true? Amen? Amen. Okay. But he says, but the life he lives now, he lives to whom? God. Jesus is living his life for God. Let me ask you, when did he say, not your will, but mine be done? Think about that before you answer. He said the exact opposite, didn't he? 
not my will, but thine be done. When he was on this earth, everything he did was in obedience to God. Why? So he would be our example. So have we died to sin? Positionally, we have. But do we live for God? Honestly, sometimes. So why do I why do why am I comparing Christ with God or with Christ or Christ with us? Why am I doing that? Look it says, even so, consider yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's why. God compares it. Amen. Again, the one there's there's one part of a song, and I don't remember which song it is. Um, my my life is mine to live. I understand there's a sense that that's true, but there's a sense that that's absolutely not true. I've been bought with a price. I am His. I need to live to Him. Romans 6, verse 18, and having been freed from sin, you became what? So everybody said, well, I'm, I, have, I have freedom to do whatever I want to do. No, you don't, because you're a slave to sin. Before salvation, you're a slave to sin. Is that not true? After salvation, you are no longer a slave to sin. You now are a slave to what? Does it look like that? Does our life look like we're a slave to righteousness all the time? And it's because Christ is not our vision. It's because we love the position but not the practice of His robes or mine. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, okay, he doesn't say it just once. He says it again. You've been freed from sin. By the way, who freed you? God freed us. Now we're enslaved to God. Who's our master? God. You derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. Somehow, our culture in Christendom just X's out everything in between derive the benefit eternal life. That's what it sounds like today. But that's not what the text says. It says, you have been enslaved to God. And this is to your benefit. Because what's the benefit? You result is, the result is sanctification. Who's doing this? Who's doing the freeing from sin? Who? Who's doing the, the enslaved to God? God. Who's making, who's, who's doing the sanctification? And who's giving us eternal life? This is all God. But so many times I think, I feel like I'm king. King. 
And I'm just being honest. I really mess up because I lose sight of Him and His greatness. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so. Now, some people would say, well, see, you can, have a, you can be a Christian and have your mind set on the flesh and be hostile toward God. Is that what that text is saying? That's what some theologian said, and you're pushing this verse into that system to make it work for that theological system. That's wrong. It says, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, it's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is talking about an unsaved, depraved mind person. And God saved us from that. Do you get all these verses are talking about how great God is, how little we are? Romans 8, we're getting closer. We're going to, you know, we're in 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh. To live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting death to the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. That's a pretty powerful verse. Very powerful verse. All who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Does your life look like you're being led by the Spirit of God. I have said this over and over again, and this is why it frustrates because it just, it was an experience I had that I'll never forget. When an elder from a local church came up to me and spent three to five minutes cussing and swearing because he knew I hated it, and then to said, isn't the grace of God great? you're right, the grace of God is great. But you just have crucified Him over and over and over and over and over again, willfully. And I doubt highly that that's any mark of a Christian. Purposefully. Are we being, listen, there's no leading of the Spirit in that. That's excusing sin and reveling in the flesh. Romans 8.15 You, who's talking, who's the you? Believers, right? You believers, you have, what's the word? Received. Who's doing the action? God. God's, God's the one that's giving, right? This is the free gift. You've received a spirit of what? Adoption. 
What do you have, what do you accomplish in order to get adopted? Nothing. This is all about God, not about me. It's God's work. It's God's work. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 through 31, probably one of the duh, most duh verses when it comes to this. Listen, folks. God foreknew you. God predestined you. God conformed you. God predestined. God called. God justified. God glorified. God did all of that. Where's our boasting in God doing that? To us. Nowhere. Our boasting is not in ourselves. Our boasting is in Christ. You see, if we're boasting in ourselves, we really have not read Scripture. The person that says, hey, I can go ahead and cuss like a sailor and it doesn't matter because God forgives me, has not read the Scripture. Because he's living, applauding, embracing, glorifying the flesh. He is not led by the Spirit of God. I tell you what, I can't even say the word. <laughs> Just yesterday I had a a man at, at, over at the shop. I met him. I was helping him a little bit. And he came over and asked me how things were going and I told him the truth. <sighs> I said, I just had a guy swear at me. He, 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 there was a three quarters of an inch out of level wall in four feet and we sanded it down. It looked really nice and he yelled at me with the guy that did the unlevel wall in front of him. And swore at me. And I was like, oh, I couldn't even say what he said. I just, it's not in me. How many understand that? I don't even want to say that word, right? But that's what Christians do. That's like, I, I don't even want to go there. Many times we talk about people. When we say somebody's name, we've got to start thinking about how God, how God is using them, not how... He's being worked in the flesh. How many understand that? It's not gossip. We need to help this guy. It's not gossip. God, look at God did. He did this, he did this, he did this. All this stuff. What then shall we say? <laughs> Praise be to God, right? We're getting there. Chapter 9 already. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done any good or bad, so that God's purpose according to His choice would stand, not because of works, but because of Him who calls. Is this not... Who's doing the work here? Who's doing the work? Say it out loud. God, when did He do the work? Before they're born. Why did He do the work? Why did He tell us He did the work before they were born? To help us realize it's not what they did. It's what God did. So that, and it even says it. I mean, it's like the Bible is awesome, right? It says, the twins were not even born yet and had done nothing good or bad. Nothing. They didn't do anything. Why? So that God's purpose, according to God's choice, would stand. Not because of their works, 
but because of God who does all the work. Now, just on a side here, why is it that so many people want to work for their salvation? Let me ask you, give me something about God that is not exemplified in His action. In other words, give me an attribute of God that we know apart from what He does. Can you? Everything He is, He does. One man said it this way, I think it was the guy that followed Gill, John Gill. I remember John Gill. John Gill, I believe, was the pastor after uh, Spurgeon. He was the next pastor for that church. Here's what he said. He's got like chapters of it in his book. The works of John Gill, I think it is. <clears throat> Anyways, and he said this statement, and I, I think he's totally right on this. God is all act. He, in the beginning, God... It doesn't say, in the beginning, God. Done, period. Done with the whole story. <laughs> it says, in the beginning, God created. He's all act. He's all act. And guess what? We were created in His image. So, of course, we're going to want to do things and work. By the way, sitting at home and letting everybody else feed you and supply you, that is not the image of God. That's the antithesis of it. He's all act. He designed us to work. 3.15 Genesis and other passages there. So that's, it makes sense why we want to work for our own eternity. But the problem is we can't. We will fail. The law shows us we will fail. But Christ gave us the answer. Then the Bible says in Romans 9.16, exactly, it's just awesome. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, or some of your versions, the man who works. But it's on God who has mercy. How many understand that our salvation, our everything, our life, breath, everything, there's nothing. We have nothing apart from our great God. I think this one probably brings it more than all the other ones. It's not in Romans because we've gone through Romans. I didn't go with a fine-toothed comb, but we went through it. Now, these things, brother, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes so that in us you may, not, you may learn not to exceed what is written so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you do not receive? And if you did receive it, why did you boast as if you had not received it? What is your problem?
How many of you have ever worked underneath a manager? Okay, some manager. And you bust your tail to accomplish a job. And who gets the credit? The manager. Right? What did he do? He motivated you somehow. Right? Well, let me ask you. How many get upset with that type of thing? Does it frustrate you that you did the work, somebody else gets the credit for it? <laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> In the flesh, how many would be upset with that? Nobody? Here's the deal. Who did the work for your salvation? Who did it? Is it right for any of us to claim it was us? It was my will that chose salvation and that's why I'm saved. It was my work that chose salvation and that's why I got saved. Let me ask you, is th are those things true? No, they're not true. God gave you salvation. He not only gave you the provision. What was the provision? He died on the cross. He lived his life. He was born. He lived his life, followed the law. He was then crucified innocently. He was totally innocent and was crucified. He was then put in the grave and then he rose again. Why? For our sins. It wasn't us. It was all Him. So why is it? And, and we all would say amen to that, right? So why is it when it comes to our sanctification, when it comes to our living a godly life, we have to, we think it's all about, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. Listen, if, if it's not by faith, you'll stink. Our giftedness is just the same. Listen, uh, I had one man that worked for me. He calls me quite often, actually. Good guy. Used to attend the church. Now they moved to a different town. But he said, Tim, you're a great preacher. It's just awesome what you can do. I just, I'm so thankful. But you stink at giving me one-on-one -on -one instructions. How many understand that? Do you know why? God has gifted me in a certain area, strongly in a certain area. Not everybody in here is a strong preacher. And if you were, you would be up here. Does that make sense? God has gifted, and this is where He's going with all of this. Let me get it. By the way, I love this. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you didn't receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? What, what, what's wrong with you? That's ridiculous. So, that's what he's talking about. Number one, how are we going to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think? Because God did everything. 
You don't take glory in that. You boast in Christ and Christ only. Amen? Not in yourself. The only way you are not going to think more highly than you ought to is to know God better. That's the issue. Then, he says, but to think so as you have sound judgment, as God has allotted each a measure of faith. God has given each and every one of us a measure of faith. And I will say this, a special gift to continue your journey of faith. Amen. That gift must be used in faith. Because if you have to do it, I will tell you this. If I had to preach, if I was made to preach, I, I would hate it. How many understand what I'm saying? You see, God gives us the desires of our hearts. We are passionate at what He's gifted us to do. Amen? I can't shut up. I can't stop yelling. I can't stop getting excited. Why? Because these are... I want you to know how great our God is. And I hope through all of Romans we just went through, you see it's God, it's God, it's God, it's God. It's not me. What an awesome God we have. For just as we have many members in one body, He, he then immediately, He's talking about this measure of faith. That means difference in giftedness. I believe that's what it's trying to say. Because it's, it's not talking about our salvation, although it's exemplified in our salvation. Now it's the sanctification. Now it's how we're living our life on this earth. We live it by faith. All Christians live it by faith. I find it very troubling when people point back to, he had a moment of faith, so therefore he's forever saved. I find that very troubling because it's not found in Scripture. Because we're not only saved by faith, we live by faith. The question is, are we living by faith? Or are we still living in the flesh and trying to make everybody think we're being good people? That's the most exasperating thing you could ever do. Because it will not last. We must live by faith. How are we going to do that? And then it tells us, and we're going to talk about this next week. For just as we have many members in one body, He exemplified it by a body. A literal body, okay? And all the members do not have the same function. Could you imagine if we were all noses? We would smell well, but we would never tell anybody about it unless we blew the nose. Think about that. Every part of the body. When's the last time you invited a nose to dinner? You invited a person to dinner. A complete person. It would be a pretty boring conversation if you brought a nose. And only a nose. 
unfortunately, the church of Christ is many times exemplifying that. There's only, matter of fact, the statistics are something like 10% of the church does 99% of the work. So the church is functioning handicapped. Does that make sense? It should not be. The problem is, I think, the problem I really believe is this. We're not continuing to live by faith. We're holding on to that decision, and that's all we're doing. And then we're working in the flesh the rest of the time. The Christian school movement is a perfect example of that. Perfect example. Outward pressure to do right. Inward, well, we don't know, so... Well, here's the deal. Start knowing God better. Start knowing God better. Because the closer relationship you have with God, oh man, the more that nose is going to get used. The more God is glorified. If God did all of that for us, what's the reasonable reaction? I'm yours. I'm totally yours. Use me as you will. Help me understand who you are. Help me serve other people. Whatever it is, Lord, I want to please you in everything. Folks, our job is not only to be saved by faith, but we are called to live by faith also. And the only way that happens is to know God. As a result, love God. As a result, want to please Him. Our motivations matter. Motivations are the key. Young people, your mom and dad say, you're going to read the Bible every morning at da 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 da, da. And How many of you love reading the Bible? I have to. I was made to. Ah, it doesn't work. We want to love to read the Bible, right? I find myself more and more as I get older trying to understand God more and more. I mean, looking everywhere for that. Where, what are you trying to say here? What verse can I apply to figure this out? All answers reside in knowing and loving Him, and I pray that that is our goal. Mr. Zarin, can you please stand and close us, or come on up here and close us in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Let's stand we'll be dismissed in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we ponder the your who you really are. Father, the more we understand about you, the more wisdom you have about you, the more insignificant we will become in our own sight. Lord, as we grow in you, the gap between you and us widens. Lord is a the verse in the book of James that talks about the meekness of wisdom. Father, what that means is the more we know about you, 
the more humble we will become. I pray, God, that that would be our goal, to glorify you, and we will not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Father, we pray for some of the political issues we have at church here. Think of Mr. Selms, who has his traveling today for surgery, I believe, tomorrow. God, we pray that you would have your sovereign hand on him and by your grace uh, bring him back to us and hopefully have some relief from the pain that he's in. Father, we think of Mr. Pierce as he goes for surgery on the 3rd of May on his knee. We pray, God, again, that that would be successful and that you would keep him under your care. Father, we're thankful for Scott Blakey here today. Thank you for his testimony through the trial he's been in. We pray that you'll continue to heal him. Father, again, we just thank you that as we go from here, we would continue to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.